Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you in our video teaching service. So one month from today, we will be finishing uh, our 10th of 10 Christmas services. And hopefully by that time, if this campaign, this series that we're in has been successful, we will know before we wake up on Christmas morning, specifically for those of you who are in our video teaching service, how long our church is going to have to be meeting at two different locations, how long we're going to have to use video teaching for a little while. But every Sunday, you, if you're in here, uh, if you're in our video teaching service today, every Sunday you sit in a video teaching service, you are helping push the mission forward to make room for people who could not be here if we weren't in two different places and we didn't do some of our services on video. So look forward to being back with you next week. But thanks for being on mission. Did you all see Christmas beginning to settle in at Journey this morning? If you came in our front entry, you, you're you're beginning to see our building transformation. This building and uh, our Summit Lakes campus are going to turn into Whoville over the next couple weeks as we push towards Christmas. You say, Christian, why are we doing that? We're doing that to give you a reason to invite your friends. You don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need our building to, to look anything special to draw us here on Sunday morning. But our church believes that we should constantly be on mission, that we should be inviting people who don't know Jesus yet, and we're constantly trying to figure out how can we help you invite a friend to church without the reason being, hey, you need Jesus. So we think if we could invite them, hey, man, you got to come see our church, it looks like Whoville, um, that maybe one of your friends with young kids will come to church and hear about Jesus and have their life transformed. Uh, man, the, the stuff outside looks incredible. I went outside today about 7.55, and there was actually a post office truck sitting by the Whoville sign, and I thought, man, that is an incredible prop. We got a post office truck to show up, and then I saw like a guy unloading boxes, and I thought, how'd they talk a volunteer into acting like he was delivering packages at Whoville on church? And then I realized it was really the post office working on Sunday morning. God bless the federal government and the U.S. Postal Service. They were working on Sunday morning during church. We're glad that they are here. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles today, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is where we are going to hang out together. Uh, if you have your bulletin, reach inside, pull out your notes so that you can follow along. I think you're going to learn some interesting things here. If you have your Journey Church International app on your smartphone, uh, everything on our screen will be in your handheld device. If you just go to the sermon notes for today, we are in week three, as you heard Pastor Mike say, of a series that we're calling Difference Makers, Chasing the Vision. You say, what vision, Christian, are we chasing? We're chasing the vision that God has called you to, and we're chasing the vision that we believe God has called us to. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, Thanks for being here. You're always welcome at our church. We'd love to answer your questions, get to know you, see how we can help you find Jesus or find out about Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the vision of your life is plainly stated in scripture, that you would know God, that you would be transformed from the inside out, that you would find your purpose and that you'd do it, that you would make a difference, bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. That is the vision for your life. Know God, be transformed, find your purpose, and then go do it. As a church... We want to be filled with people who know God and who make him known. We want to be filled with people who have been transformed and then use that transformation to serve others. We want to be filled with people who have found their purpose and believe together we're supposed to live on mission. We want to be filled with people who believe that together we can accomplish more than we can apart. So we've been talking about how we are trying to do that as individuals and as a congregation the last few weeks. Here are the two goals of today's messages, of today's messages we dig in. Number one, here's the first goal. We want to study today 
how the people of God in Scripture practice generosity towards God and towards the things that were really, really close to the heart of God. I think even if you've grown up in church your entire life, you might learn something new today that will challenge and inspire you. And then once we learn that, the second goal today is that we would all begin to rethink, that we would rethink how our generosity can be super, super intentional towards God and towards the things of God. I think you're, you're going to be amazed, maybe. I think you're going to be inspired. I think you'll probably be challenged. But if we can apply what we learn today, I promise you it will increase our impact in living the way Jesus wants us to live. Before we ever open the word of God, we open our hearts and ask God to speak to us. So here and in our video teaching service, would you just bow your heads with me quickly? Do this for me if you would. Take a deep breath, maybe the deepest breath you've taken all week long. We are in a busy season, I get that. But I wanna challenge you right now to leave last week there. Can't go back and change anything that happened last week. Leave next week there. You can shop and cook and clean and get ready to host and prepare to travel next week. In these next few moments, open your heart to God and listen to the voice of God. In your heart, listen to heaven. I want to ask you if you're a praying person right now, just from your heart to heaven, just pray, pray these words. Just ask God to speak to your heart today, show you what you're supposed to learn, and to show you what you're supposed to do with that. God, that's our prayer today and every Sunday that you would speak to our hearts Show us what to do and how to do it. As we learn how the people of Scripture practice generosity towards you and your mission, inspire us and help us to learn how to be super intentional on how we think about generosity. God, that's our prayer. Help us with that today. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about how following him will change things in your life. In Luke chapter 6, he says, if you begin to follow me, it will change the way you think about your enemies you'll start praying for them instead of gossiping about them. It will change the way you judge people who are struggling with things in life. And instead of judging them, you'll be merciful towards them. It will change the way you forgive people who have hurt you. Um, instead of holding on to a grudge, you will begin to forgive them. Because basically what Jesus is saying is when you begin to follow me, you will become like me. And you will find out that when you were still an enemy of the cross, I prayed for you. And you will find out when I saw all your struggles, I didn't judge you, but I forgave you. Jesus said, when you begin to follow me, you'll become like me. It'll change the way you do things, and it will change how, how you give. It will change how you give. And he gives one powerful verse on giving in Luke 6, 38, that I want to share with you today. Here's what Jesus says. We're going to read it twice. He says in Luke 6, 38, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let me read it again. This is a great verse. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Key question today, as we dig into today's message, is this. How should we think about giving? As followers of Jesus, how should we think about giving? How should we think about generosity? This message is not how much should you give. This message is not how much can you give. This message is not how much do we need you to give. This message, as for the individual, is this. How should we think? If we are followers of Jesus, how should we think about generosity? And the answer we're going to find out today is, is maybe bigger than you've ever thought about generosity before. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was speaking to a Jewish crowd. 
And when Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, when the Jewish audience 2,000 years ago heard a rabbi talk about giving, their mind would have instantly understood what he was talking about. And they would have seen giving in two very specific ways. Some of them would have seen it the first way. Some of them would have seen it the second way. Some of them would have seen it both ways. But everyone listening, when Jesus said give, would have thought about giving through the lens of two particular things. Number one, they would have realized that for them in their culture, giving was an act of worship. When they heard Jesus say, give, some of them would have thought, well, yeah, of course, that's the way we worship. Man, I'm so proud of, proud of Pastor Ryan and uh, the leaders in our, in our monthly men's gathering. They, they put on a huge event Monday night. We got to watch Monday night football on the big screens. We got to watch the Chiefs barely hang on and beat the Chargers. It was an incredible event. Hundreds of people in this room. And one of the men who was sitting at my table is going to Israel with us in January. So we were talking a little bit about the Israel trip. And he said, what is the best thing that I'm going to see? And I said, man, like you're going to hear me say at every site in Israel, I'm going to say this is one of my favorite sites because it is. But I said, probably the Abraham gate at Tel Dan is, is maybe, maybe the thing in the Holy Land that will take your breath away the most. Because when we stand there and teach, we all have little Bibles that we give people when we take to Israel so we can all be on the same page. I will tell you when we stand before this gate, turn to page 11 in your Bible. I want you to think about that. Page 11. We will, stand, we will stand together on page 11 of the Bible. That, like, that's old. Some of you are going to eat Thanksgiving dinner with someone this week who's old. That's old. Like, that, that's old. That's, that's really, really. Page 11 in the Bible, that's old. That's old. And we'll tell the story about a man named Abram uh, who had a nephew named Lot who was kidnapped uh, around the Dead Sea area. And he was taken hostage, he and his family, to north of Damascus in Syria. And Abraham, Abram found out about it, and he said, we, we got to go get him. So he and the men in his house went, and they stayed in this city. And history really believes they walked through this gate. Page 11 of your Bible, they, they walked through this gate. They, they recaptured Lot and his family. And as they were heading back home, they stayed the night in a city called Salem. Uh, they met there the high priest of Salem. Later, the, the name of the town would be changed to Jerusalem. Um, or Jerusalem, um, and Abraham would, would stay all night there. He'd have a meal with the priest, and he would, he would say thank you to God by giving. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, we see this scene unfold. Abraham's eaten after he's captured his nephew back, staying all night in Salem. Then it says, then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven, and earth, and watch what happened. Praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here, here's what you need to realize there. This guy Melchizedek was not a Levitical priest. Abraham did not live in Israel. Abraham was not even Jewish at the time. Abraham did not tithe because he had to. This was 500 years before any of the Bible would be written Abram, simply as an act of worship, said, God has really, really touched my heart, and, and I want to give back. A few years ago, I stood in what they believe is the temple of Melchizedek. Go to that next picture, guys, if you would. This is an archaeology site that probably won't be uncovered to the public for another 20 years because they're still digging there. But they have found under the old city of Jerusalem a temple 
that has some standing stones of worship locked in cases because they believe these are thousands of years old stones that have been set up to worship on, and they believe the only written history that shows a temple in this area is the temple of Melchizedek in Genesis 14. They believe this is the very location where Abram and Melchizedek sat down and had this meal. When I stood there, I thought, man, this, this, is, this is one of the greatest places I've ever been on planet Earth. There's some important things that have happened on this spot. Most people we take to Israel, we don't take there, but we got a special tour with the archaeologist who was doing this dig in real time. It was incredible. I don't have time today, but this week on the Activate podcast, Pastor Brandon and I take nearly 30 minutes just to talk about my love of uh, the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, my love of Jewish history, uh, my love of Israel, and how that unlocks so many things in the New Testament for us. If you have time this week, listen to the Activate podcast. Melchizedek is a really, really big deal. But here, here's what we need to realize about giving. Let's jump back to generosity. Abraham worshiped by giving a tenth to the priest of God most high as an offering, not because he had to. Again, remember, this is a really important note. Nearly 500 years before it was a Jewish law to tithe, the people of God practiced the worship of God through tithing. They, they gave a tenth. When God would do something to them, one of the ways they worshiped and said thank you was to give a tenth back. It wasn't a rule. It was just a standard of worship. It was a standard of gratitude. It wasn't a law. Abram didn't even have ham in his name yet, which means he could have had it on his table but not in his name, right? Like, like before even the dietary laws of the Jews were there, Abraham was saying, God, thank you by giving a tenth. Some of you understand kosher laws are still laughing at that. I, I thought that was funny. I liked it when I put it in there. I laughed too myself. He was given the bacon and he was eating it at the exact same time. You know what I'm saying? Hundred years, hundred years later, hundred years later, Abraham's grandson would do the exact same thing. He would do the exact same thing. It wasn't a law yet, but in Genesis 28, Jacob is telling God, God, if you'll help me, I'll give. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. This is one of the verses our church is named after. Jacob says, if you'll be with me on my journey. As I read that verse years ago in my quiet time, I thought, man, that, like, God, that's what I want. God, if you'll just be with me on my journey. And that became, kind of became the word that, that described. God, just be with me on my journey, um, my life. Key question. He said, Christian, do, do Christians have to tithe to go to heaven? No. No, you don't, you don't have to go to, you don't have to tithe to go to heaven. You don't have to tithe to be blessed spiritually. As a matter of fact, according to surveys, only 20% of people who call themselves Christians and give actually give 10%. No, you don't have to tithe. Because of Jesus, it's a really important thing to understand when it comes to generosity. Because of Jesus, there's no requirement on our generosity to satisfy God's law. You don't have to give a tenth. You can never give a tenth. Still go to heaven. Still be blessed. Still have Jesus in your life. Because of Jesus, no requirement on our generosity to satisfy God's law. But the standard, the standard throughout Scripture has always been giving a tenth back to God is worship. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews said Jesus was a high priest just like Melchizedek. And then he made this, what I think is an amazing statement in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. The author of Hebrews said, just think how great he, meaning Melchizedek, was, that Jesus is like him. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. He said, just think about how great Jesus is as a high priest. Even Abraham would have tithed to Jesus. Just a, it's a standard of worship. It's just a standard of worship. You say, Christian, I, so I don't have to give 10% to get to heaven? No. You also don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. 
but you should. Like there's, there's some things you don't have to do because Jesus died so your sins could be forgiven, but there are some things we should do. Giving is one of those. When Jesus' audience heard him say give, they didn't think how much do we have to give. They thought, oh, giving looks like worship, and they went back to Abraham and thought giving looks like worship. Giving 10% is one of the ways we worship. But that was just the very, very beginning of Jewish generosity. Jesus' audience would have known when he said give, they would have thought, okay, that's how we worship. But then because of who they were and how they lived, they would have, they would have known about number two, giving in Jewish culture. They would have known about giving in Jewish culture. I believe what you're getting ready to learn about giving may may blow your mind when it comes to generosity if you've not learned this yet. The first time I preached on tithing at Journey six or seven years ago, somebody came up to me and said, Christian, I've got a question. I'm confused on tithing. I said, great, what's your question? And they said, does the tithe go to like, like the church for ministry or does it, um, does, do I keep it so that I can enjoy, like do I spend it on myself and my family for our spiritual community or do I, do I give it to the poor? Because the Old Testament says all of it. And I said, let me study and get back with you. And I went and studied, and I thought, that's a great question. Do we tithe? Do we, like, do we, do we give to God? Do we, do we keep our tithe for ourselves so we can have spiritual moments, or do we give it to poor people? Because believe it or not, the Old Testament says all those things. So I thought, God, which is it? And I began to dig heavy into Jewish history and Jewish culture. And here's what I, here, here's what I learned. Do you give to God? Do you give for community? Or do you give to the poor? Which one is it? When we study Jewish history, we learn that the Jews did all three. The Jewish people showed astounding generosity through the giving of three tithes. They gave three tithes. Now, before you pass out or hide your wallet, I'm not saying this is what we're going to begin to do at Journey. Like, Harold, hide, the, hide your wallet. He's, he's coming after it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I want to teach you about generosity through the lens of a culture that may, that may open your eyes a little bit. The first tithe in the Old Testament that we read about was given to Levites for the work of daily ministry at the temple. We read about it in Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18. This first tithe was a personal act of worship that basically said this, God, the way I worship and say thank you is by giving a tenth. The way, the way I hope your temple, the way I hope your church ministers to people seven days a week like I could if it was my full-time job is a part of that tithe. So people would give 10% to say thank you and they would, they would do that so the ministry of God's church, his temple, could go seven days a week as if it was their full-time job. They would give a tenth to that. That was one of the tithes that the people of Israel gave. The second tithe was given to celebrate God's work at festival meals with your spiritual community. In Deuteronomy 12, you read about the tithe that had to be brought to Jerusalem and specifically used, eaten in Jerusalem. Those were for the three feasts a year that the Jews would celebrate. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of uh, uh, Tabernacles. God said, for this tithe, the second tithe, bring it to Jerusalem, enjoy it together. This 10%, this tithe is your investment in spiritual community. So you have a tithe that invests in your worship, your gratitude, and you wanting ministry to be done to everyone as if it was your full-time job. Your second tithe invests in spiritual community for those and that you're close to. And then the third tithe was only given once every three years. So this was actually on a yearly basis about three and one-third percent. The third tithe was given once every three years to provide for the poor 
that lived among the villages in Israel in Deuteronomy 14 and 26 said every third year, don't give your tithe to the church. Don't take it to Jerusalem. Every third year, give an additional tithe. Put it in the warehouses of your community. And anyone who's living through a difficult time, anyone who's underserved can stop. They can know that's the place that the people of, all, of God have always provided for them. That would be their local food bank. In addition to these three tithes, the people of Israel also practiced the law of gleaning, which meant, according to Leviticus 19, when you would harvest your field, you, you weren't allowed to harvest the corners. When, when you would beat the olives out of the tree, trees, you were only allowed to do it once. You weren't allowed to shake the tree to get the apples on the highest branches. God said, just whatever doesn't fall the first time, leave that. So that if anyone in your community, if anyone around you needs it, they can, they can have it. So another maybe 3 to 5% of your resources were just left for people. I want you to think about this. On average, a Jewish family would give between 25 and 30% of their resources to God and to the celebrations and people close to the heart of God. In addition, in the time of Jesus, they also paid taxes to Rome. They would give 25 to 30% of their resources for worship, for ministry, for spiritual community, for outreach to those who were hurting, and they would pay their taxes to Rome. You say, Christian, are you asking us to do that every year? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I am asking you to think about what our world would look like if that's how the church dealt with the resources God had given them. Would our world look different, yes or no? Yes. Yeah, it sure would. Sure would. So we capture the heart of God through this Jewish culture. When Jesus said give, they would have thought, oh yeah, like Abraham, like giving is one of the ways we worship. But when, when they heard Jesus say give, they would have thought, yeah, that is, like that's the way, that's the way of God on earth. That's the way we worship and minister and have spiritual community and take care of people who need help. We invest in worship and ministry. We invest in spiritual community. We invest in helping those who are underserved and those in need in my community. It, it, is, it is a radically different way to think about generosity. And that's point three in this message, rethink, rethinking generosity. What would happen if as a church, not just journey, but let's say every Christian church in the Kansas City metro area, what if we began to rethink generosity and we wanted to invest all of our resources the way that God had set up culture to work so that there was worship, so there was ministry seven days a week, so there was great spiritual community, so that, so that nobody who had a need would ever go without because of the way that we were generous. What would it look like? We're in the third week of this series of casting a vision to, to try to figure out our next step as a church, which, which we think is a building that will allow all of us who are here, those of us in our video teaching service, to actually be together on a Sunday morning. As we've talked about chasing the vision, what we've realized is that, number one, we've been blessed to bless. This was God's message to Isaac. I'm going to bless you, but it's because I need you to be a blessing to others. We believe Christians have been blessed to bless. We believe, number two, that we should learn how to leverage today so we might have impact tomorrow. This was God's message to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, don't just live for yourself today. Leverage your today for who is coming after you. We learned, number three, that if God grows the flock, it's the responsibility of the family to dig more wells. That was Isaac's message to his family. We've been blessed to bless, and we are using right now everything that we have, so we better dig some more wells in case God adds to our flock. And what we're learning today, number four, is that if we see our resources as coming from God, then part of our worship is returning them to God and offerings for the 
for the following purposes. You say, Christian, I want, to live a gener- I want to live a generous life. I want to be known as a generous person. What does is, what is God look at? When he views my generosity, what is he looking for? He's looking for an investment in three areas. Letter A, my worship of God and the work of daily ministry. This is what Abram did with Melchizedek. This is what the author of Hebrews said Abram would do with Jesus. He would give him a tenth as a, as a worship offering and to ask him to keep doing more ministry on his behalf. We would see our generosity invested in letter B, moments of spiritual celebration and community with others. Bring that second tithe to Jerusalem and then there enjoy it with your friends and family and your small group and your church. Bring that second tithe because spiritual community is so important to spiritual life. And then letter C, our generosity would be invested in impacting the lives of those living with needs. Every three years, I'm going to give an additional tithe we're just going to put that in the warehouse. We're going to put that in the food bank so that anyone who has need can stop by and get it. That's how Jesus' audience would have heard him when he said, give, and it will be given to you. You know, as we've talked through this building process, we have said over and over, I'm saying it in all the dinners I'm having, folks, we are not building a building because we need more seats. We do need more seats. But that is not why we are building a building, because We need more seats. We can keep having more services. We could do hundreds if we use video technology. We're building a building because we believe we need a bigger space to service the vision God has called us to, to worship, to minister, to to provide for spiritual community, and and to be a resource in our community for people who are living through difficult seasons where they're in need or they're in an underserved part of our community who will just never catch up in our generation. That's That's why we're building a building. As we've shown you this building and as we lift the lid off the building and show you a little bit on the inside, we've tried to say we're, we're pursuing these four things. We believe we've been blessed to bless. We're supposed to share our world, our church, our ministry life with our community. But they don't all fit right now in our auditorium. So we said we want to expand our auditorium. But spiritual community is really important. So we want to build this big space because church is not just about worship and ministry to others. It's about ministry, one-on-one, spiritual community. It is about having that meal with friends and family and your small groups looking at one another eye-to-eye, providing for everything that they need. We realize, like Isaiah told Hezekiah, that our church is not just all about us. So we want to take our old building and turn it all into children's ministry space because our giving today is for the next generation tomorrow. And even Eventually expand that. But when we look at chasing the vision, we're not just saying we need a bigger building. Really, we, really, really, I wish we didn't have to build bu- buildings at all. The building is not the finish line of our vision. It's the vehicle that's getting us closer to it, right? Just right now, our vehicle is like a Pinto and we would like a bus. We would like to be able to take, <laughs> we'd like to be able to take a few more people on the ride with us because there are people like waiting and, and you know carpooling, it's easier to carpool in a 15 passenger van than in a, than in a four person car because you can take one trip instead of four. We believe God is calling us to build a bigger engine to drive towards the vision of worship, of ministry, of community, spiritual community, and of building a place that will just allow the warehouse of meeting needs to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We're not asking you to give to a building project. We're not asking you to give. Hopefully, I, hopefully I've not made it sound like we want you to give to a church. We're asking you as people of God who love God to look at how God created you and to say, my giving, if I give, when I give, my giving is all about three things. 
It's my personal way to worship and say thank you. It's my personal way to say, I wish I could do ministry seven days a week, 24 hours a day, but I can't, so I'm going to give to people who will on my behalf. I'm going to look at my generosity through, it has to provide for places for people to be together, to look one another in the eye, to encourage each other. It's got to be a place that raises up the next generation, and it's got to be a place that every time they take in, they're setting some aside in the warehouse so people in underserved communities can come get what they need. I hope when you think about giving, you think about those three areas, and my prayer is that when you see where we're headed, you think, I think that will do that. I think we have the ability to do that. You say, Christian, how are we going to accomplish that? We're going to have to rethink generosity. We're going to have to get big in our generosity. We're going to have to lean in. And we're going to have to rethink what real generosity is. Because real generosity is, is three things. I want you to see this. Real generosity, number one, gives probably more than we thought. Unless you're a Jewish scholar or, or you've been in a church where, where the pastor has loved unpacking some Jewish nuances of faith. My hope is you've heard today and thought, wow, real generosity gives more than I thought. I thought giving 10%, like I thought giving 10%, 12%, I was the most generous person in the room. Because real generosity in the time of Jesus probably gives more than I thought. And real generosity, number two, probably keeps less than I want. I thought real generosity was giving 10%, keeping 90%. But real generosity through the lens of Jewish culture, I guess you give a little more and you keep a, you keep a little less. However... Real generosity, number three, impacts more dramatically than, than I ever could have imagined. Real generosity gives more than I really ever thought about giving. Real generosity probably keeps less than I would want to keep, but real generosity impacts way bigger, way bigger than I could ever impact because ultimately, spiritual generosity hopefully leads people to know Jesus and all that comes with Jesus. Generosity is a big deal. You know, I was in fourth through sixth grade in an age when there were some like really scary movies being made by a guy by the name of Stephen King. Y'all know who Stephen King is. Like when you're in fourth through sixth grade, you think you're old enough to do things that adults do, but you're not old enough not to wet the bed after you do them. Like in fourth through sixth grade, that, like that was me. In sixth grade, a movie came out called It, um, like the original. I still won't walk by like the things on the sidewalk Every now and then, a kid in my neighborhood, I'll see him like a basketball roll over and he'll go chase and I'll be like, no, I'll buy you a new one. Just don't go over there. Movie scared me to death. When I was in fourth grade, Pet Cemetery came out. Y'all remember Pet Cemetery? Don't go get the, the cat with the glowing eyes. I'm telling you, there, there's some freaky stuff in Stephen King. But in 2001, he was given the commencement address to Vassar College. And he said something about generosity that made me think, Maybe he is not a sadistic freak. Maybe, maybe somewhere deep inside. Maybe somewhere deep inside. This guy's got more than just all the scary stuff floating around. It's a rather long quote, but I want you to hear it. Here's what he said. That human life is brief when placed in time's wider perspective is something we all know. I am asking you to consider it on a more visceral level, that's all. What are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you one thing you're not going to do. You're not going to take it all with you. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, he's going to go out broke. Bill Gates, he's going to go out broke. President Ferguson, that's the president of Vassar College, he's going to go out broke. Steve King, broke. You guys, broke. Not a crying dime between you. And how long in between? How long have you got to be in the chips? Just the blink of an eye. 
Should you give away what you have? Of course you should. I want you to consider making your lives one long gift to others, and why not? All the other stuff you have is just on loan. All you want to get at the getting place, from the Maserati you may dream about to the retirement fund some guy will try to sell you on sooner or later, none of that is real. All that lasts in this world is what you pass on. The rest, smoke and mirrors. Giving isn't about the receiver or the gift, but the giver. It's for the giver. One doesn't open one's wallet to improve the world. Although it's nice when that happens, one opens one's wallet to improve oneself. I give because it's the only concrete way I have of saying I'm glad to be alive and that I can earn my daily bread doing what I love. I hope you will be similarly grateful to be alive and that you will also be glad to do whatever it is you wind up doing. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back on where it belongs, on the lives we lead, the families we raise, and the communities that nurture us. So I ask you to begin the next great phase of your life by giving and to continue as you begin. I think you'll find that in the end, you get far more than you ever had and do more good than you ever dreamed. That's the dude who dreamed up it and Pet Cemetery. <laughs> But when it came to giving, I think he nailed it. You don't, you don't give for what's going to happen to others. Ultimately, you give for what happens to you. You give because of what it does in your heart. And that's the goal of this two-year building campaign. Do we, do we want to build a building? Yeah, we, we think it's time to do that. But more than anything, I want to build the faith of hundreds, if not thousands of people in our congregation who will give. They'll give, they think, to build something, but what will end up happening is their faith. Their faith will be built in a way that is absolutely transcendent. If you're brand new to this kind of series and this season in our church, what we're asking our people to do between now and December 15th is to pray about what you can give, and we're asking people to make a two-year pledge. As a church, we've got to raise 8 or $9 million dollars to build this building that we're showing you over a two-year period, along with a responsible financing package, to be, able to, to be able to build this building, to be able to start construction, to be able to move. I told you before we started this series, between our elders and our finance team and our staff, a few friends who said we'd like to go first, 4.2 million of that eight has already been committed, is, al is already covered. So we're asking our church to run the last lap on the 3.8 million that needs to be raised. You say, Christian, do you think we can get there? I think if we rethink generosity, I think if we ask God, what are we supposed to do? I think we can. Here's what I've said the last two weeks. I'll say it every week. I know this. Not everyone in our church is supposed to give right now. Some of you can't. It wouldn't be financially responsible. It wouldn't even be spiritually wise for you to give. So you need to know in this season, if it's not your season to give, it is your season to pray. Pray for us. We do need your prayers. We need your investment of prayers. We need you to be here. We need you to serve. We need you to love and lead people in our church. But if it's not your season to give, no shame, no guilt, don't worry about it. Here's why I can say that. Because if everyone who's supposed to give will give what God tells them to give, I just, I just believe we'll be there. And if the number's less than eight, God must have a little different building in mind for us than the one we're looking at. But this is, this is where we're heading towards. This is the aim that we want to hit. You say, what do you want me to do between now and December 15th to figure out my part of it? We're asking you to do two things. One, pray about what God wants you to do. 
If you have more questions, you can go to the website. We've got a website set up that has all kinds of pictures of the building and descriptions and content, differencemaker.cc. This will give you a whole bunch of information about the building and how you can engage in this building process or to come eat dinners with me starting tonight. And for the next three Sundays, Danielle and I and some of our staff team will be hosting dinners to just answer questions, talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff of the building every Sunday at 5 o'clock, this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. Come have dinner with us. You can text 474747, um, journey info dinner to sign up. There's a card in your bulletin. Or just show up. We'd love to have you. Your name tag will be written on instead of officially printed. But come on, 5 o'clock, we'll feed you Jack Stack. We'll have dinner together and talk a little bit. And then on December 15th, December 15th, Sunday, December 15th, we're calling that Commitment Sunday. We're asking you to come that day and do two things. One, bring your first fruits offering, a portion of what you're pledging, and bring your two-year pledge. You say, what exactly does that look like on the inside of all your bulletins? We've given you what we'd like you to bring that day. Just some information that can help you kind of figure out your pledge. And then you would just fill this out and you would say, uh, my two-year pledge amount is this. Somebody said, hey, Pastor Christian, if everyone in our church gave the exact same thing, what would it take to get there? So I asked our finance team this week, how many families do we have at our church who give? And they said about 900. 9 million divided by 900. So if everyone gave $10,000, we would get there. I know not everyone will do that. Some of you are not supposed to give anything. I've been praying one person would give a million dollars for three years. I've been praying one person will take a big chunk at it. I believe there are people who have both the gift of making and giving, and they can have huge impact for the kingdom of God. And some of you are going to give $326. That's a weird number, $326. Had a mom and dad last week who handed me the pledge card of their fourth grader, their fourth grader, who's pledging $326. She gets $5 a week in her allowance. They ask her to make her pledge. She started with, I want to give $1 a week to the building campaign. And they said, pray for two or three days. So she prayed for two or three days and came back with $326. She said, I want to give $3 of my allowance because I want to give more than I keep every week. She's a fourth grader. If everyone will give with that heart, not whatever, whatever total yours is supposed to be. If everyone will give with that heart, God, okay, I thought of a number, but tell me what number you want me to give. We'll get where we need to get. So her, her little pledge, Michaela, $326 pledge amount, $50 of it. She's gonna give for her first fruits offering. I sat it on my sink in my bathroom, one, to remember to pray for her and to remember there are people, even though they're nine or 10 years old who are giving by faith, and if we all do that, we'll get there. Somebody asked me this week, why do we have to pledge? I don't want to pledge. Can I just give? Of course you can just give. You don't have to pledge. Um, pledging is really more for our banks and our builders. They want to know how much building should we build. But you don't have to pledge if you're not comfortable doing that. You say, what if I pledge and I can't meet my pledge? Then you can't meet your pledge. We're going to have to trust God for that. We're not debt collectors. We're not going to, we're not going to call you and harass you. If you pledge and you can't get there, you pledge and you can't get there. We, we trust God to make up the gap. But you don't have to pledge. Um, it'd be easier for us to plan ahead if you do. You know, somebody said, what if we don't have to pledge? So you, you don't have to pledge, but that would be like your boss saying, I'm going to pay you every two weeks. Trust me, I just can't tell you how much, but you're going to get paid. It would just be hard for you to get a house. I mean, but, I mean, you'd be comfortable knowing, okay, people are going to give, but you wouldn't be able to make long-term plans. That's all a pledge is. But if you're not comfortable pledging, don't. Don't worry about it. Just give as God tells you to give because some people are going to pledge and not be able to make their pledge, and some people are not going to pledge, and they're going to give the whole time. And guess what? Those two things, hopefully, we're going to, are going to blend together, and we'll be okay. But do what is most comfortable for you to do. And then on Christmas weekend, at the end of those 10 services, we're going to celebrate and say, here's what God did. And we're going to praise God together, and we'll figure out what our next steps are. Need to raise $8 4.2 is already in. 
We just got to make up the last 3.8. If you're going to give, give generously. Give sacrificially. Give in faith. Rethink your generosity. Give for the right reasons. Because as we think, as we rethink generosity, let's pray that our worship, let's pray that our community, our spiritual community, let's pray that our impact on the underserved people of our city and our community is greater together, greater in our future than it could ever be alone, than it's ever been in our past. That's why, that's why we're doing it. Would you pray with me as we consider these things? Father, we do believe that we're stronger together than we could ever be on our own. And God, we thank you for helping us understand how people heard and what people thought when Jesus said give. God, as followers of Jesus, let the way we think about giving be different. God, help us to use our resources to worship, to minister, to provide for spiritual community, and to help others. Speak to those who are here today who are supposed to give towards this ministry project. Help them to give generously, sacrificially. Help them to give in faith what you're telling them to give. And together, help us meet our goal so that we can expand not just our impact, but your kingdom. God, we really do want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Lee Summit, Kansas City, the Midwest, in our country, in our world, just as it is in heaven. Help our giving make that happen. We can't do it without you, Jesus. So we pray you'd help us. And God, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Amen.